right place. Uh, we are going to begin a prayer, and then we'll start. So, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Holy, mighty, loving, and eternal God, we give you thanks for this day where your mercies have met us afresh. We are aware of everything. God, I pray for this time. Give thanks for Betsy and Yah for joining me on this journey and what it means to witness to you who are reconciling all things to yourself. So Lord, send down your Holy Spirit to be in this conversation. Be gentle, be wise, be speak with truth, witness to our faith, be called as people who walk in love. Amen. Um, my name is Mitchell. And I am a seminarian at Virginia Seminary, and I'm also the interim youth director here at St. Columba. Um, and I am joined by two of my really dear friends, uh, Betsy, who is the uh, head chaplain at this high school, and my friend and colleague, Yaa Addison, who uh, is also at seminary with me, and has uh, accepted a call to be one of the associate directors at Grace High School in Silverstone. So, um, I uh, would love to um, start with introductions, um, and particularly um, around uh, your social location um, as, uh, as who you are. Well, as you heard, I'm Yaw. I am from the D.C. area. I'm an African-American woman, cisgender woman, who, um, who has been commonly educated in the Episcopal And then 
went away to Northwestern, thought about being a priest in high school, but then said, oh, I'm going to be a journalist. And so did that and moved to D.C. in 1999. And my mom said, I know you want to work with young people. And she was in seminary at the time. She said, don't come to St. John's Georgetown. They're going to make you the youth minister. You need to go to St. Columbus. And I'm like, they, they have a full-time paying youth minister, so it won't be you. And I'm like, I'm great. And so I started attending church here in 99, 2000 was a part of the first group of teachers doing uh, Way 13 and J2A when we were doing that curriculum here. And um, now the children that I've taught are, you know, having children of their own, which is very freaky. But um, this was a really formative place for me. Um, my daughter Ruby was baptized here, and uh, but I answered a call to go to seminary, went out to the West Coast seeking just different um, places to be and different people to be in contact with and to be pushed on in different ways. And uh, and then when I graduated from seminary, I said I really want to work with young people. And the Bishop Chang, who was the bishop at the time, said, well, we are there to school chaplaincy jobs open. So I started working at St. Andrews. Yana and I were like ships in the night. She had just graduated. I showed up, was the lower and intermediate school chaplain, just saw one of my little students walking around here. Um, this morning, and and loved that for four years, but missed working with high school students. So I returned um, and found I didn't know Episcopal High School existed. Had no idea, right? That there's this you know 450 uh, kid campus of all borders in Alexandria, Virginia, and so applied and became assistant chaplain for two years and head chaplain for now this is my seventh year in that position. And so that's really how, you know, I'm living, working, I live on a dorm with 40, 10, 11th and 12th grade um, people and students. Um, it is camp 24-7, your congregation never leaves. Like, it's great. We actually don't have spring break, so this is the end of, I'm spending the end of my spring break with you all, so this is perfect. But it is, it is sacred and holy work, and it's where I feel called to be, I think as long as my energy lasts, but it's, um, it's it's been it's been a very interesting nine years. And uh, I'm Mitchell. I am from Greenwood, South Carolina, out of the diocese of Upper South Carolina. Um, I grew up going to a predominantly black church, uh, particularly in the Baptist tradition. And then um, my parents moved. My older brother and I to a charismatic church that was uh, kind of intercultural. Um, uh, in high school, I started going to Young Life, which is this parent church ministry um, that is particularly um, um, pretty white-centric. Um, and then within that, I started going to uh, a white evangelical megachurch. Um, so I found myself, uh, after I graduated with my two-year degree, um, I was looking for a job, came across the Episcopal Church, was looking for a youth minister, applied, got the job. Um, again, found myself being formed um, in um, the Episcopal Church, which is uh, a white space, um, particularly in the Deep South. Um, and through that, since the call towards ordained ministry, um, and uh, that's how I got to BTS, and um, I got here. So, um, I have two more questions, and then we're going to open it up for everyone to ask us questions and uh, engage in dialogue. Um, before we get to the witness of kids, uh, I'm curious what, um, during 2020, um, um, after the, North, the murder of George Floyd, um, what was your Christian, Christian witness in general um, during that time as 
uh, as a black woman and as a white woman. Um, my witness was that every person is beloved. That you are loved by Christ no matter what your identity is, especially when um, those identities are challenged. As an African-American woman in a non-united church, um, it is a little difficult. You, you do get overlooked, you do have assumptions made about you. Um, but I know that I am beloved. And so when I see others who have that identity challenge, I try to remind them that they too are beloved, that they are mirrors of God, that they are made in God's image. And so that is what they should hold on to, especially that identity. Um, which is hard, especially when the world does try to challenge that. Um, also that, you know, you can only do as much as you can do, and it's okay. It's okay to put your mask on first and then take care of other people along the way. If you are not okay in yourself, then how can you take care of someone else? Um, and so, Remembering that, you know, we find our strength in God, and we follow Jesus' example. I really didn't know anything. I thought I knew a lot, but I didn't really know a lot. And, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. We were going to solve climate change, racism, like all those things, right? All while wearing Birkenstocks again. And, you know, I mean, that's what we, that's the identity I have. Like, I've been doing, like, diversity work intentionally trying to find that since I was a high schooler. And and it was this realizing that I've just been at the outer edge of the onion this year, the whole time. And that navigating that in a school context, navigating that during the pandemic, it was, I didn't have the, the my people there. I had the immediate community, 90, Four percent of the adults that work at the school live at the school, so we were suddenly in this smaller environment. But all the students were away, and so you have you know the black VHS account, you know all these things to kind of be and engage with the complicated history that my school has, you know that this parish has. Like how do you how do you start talking in real ways about the antebellum period? about priests owning slaves, you know, how do, I, how do I then take that all the way back to the way I distanced myself growing up in Alabama, that, you know, oh, well, my family didn't live here during that time. We moved here in the 70s, right? But to still be called out by the letter to the Birmingham jail and Bishop Carpenter, the Episcopal Bishop at the time, like, you know, still being, not necessarily called out, but called in is what I think that letter is doing. And realizing that I had a lot of work to do personally because I suddenly did not trust my gut and I didn't feel ready to be the best that I could be for the students that were under my care and the adults. I think a lot of adults started telling more truth, especially adults of color in my community, than they have before. And we would stand out in front of Episcopal every Thursday from 4 to 5 with signs of support, space six feet apart, 
not walking the sidewalk. It would just be out there like the whole summer was what we ended up doing. And some of it was we just we didn't have our kids. And for me, it, it, it came to being in a place like I was talking about, that, that all of us are seen and loved and made by God. And we have to treat each other with that dignity. We often, even though we're not a baptismal community, we use baptismal covenant language. We respect the dignity of every community. And that that is who we are. But then also being a place where my congregation is young. And they screw up. They say things they shouldn't say. They get recorded and then it's posted on social media. Or whatever it is. Like you making that mistake, how do you work with a 14-year-old boy who has said something that he said, he now with some restorative justice angles and education kind of sees, how do we bring him back into the community, right? As just a general example. But I think I found myself dealing with it not only as a parent, but as a recent educator. And so when you have my then child who's in seventh grade time, what, how, what do we do? So it became a lot more conversation, and again, more, I don't really know exactly what I'm doing. And I've got to read, I've got to study, I've got to talk to people, but not make them recount their pain for me as a white person to be able to understand what's going on. And that's always my concern. You know, I know we're moving forward, I know my community's changing, I know I'm changing, to build out of the backs of my black colleagues and black students, or other students and colleagues of color. But, I, that can't be the solution. Yeah, for me, I, my, anger, my, my witness um, was really a lot of anger. Um, I remember uh, I ended up writing, um, um, uh, I can't remember the long thing that I had, but I ended up writing actually after the murder of Amara Harvard. And I wrote this thing and I'm like, you know, screw this, screw everybody, screw church, I'm out of here, right? And, uh, and I get a call from my bishop. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it was a, it was a great conversation. Um, uh, and um, I, I do remember that conversation. Uh, one of the things that I have learned in my witness during twenty twenty is who are um, who are the white people in my life that I can be angry with, um, or that I can be angry to. I think um, you know that there is. Um, all stereotypes are equal, uh, but this stereotype of angry black man, uh, and and one of the things that um, that I, I had to begin to ask myself is who can I be angry with? Who is going to see my anger, um, hear it um, for all that it's worth? Um, and and so um, you know, in 2020, like all of that's happening, and I'm getting ready for seminary. Uh, we are getting ready for seminary, um, and yeah, I I mean, I just remember. Um, and I've done all the reading, I've done all of the, the praying, and I was just like ready to do something. Like, I just needed to channel it somewhere. Um, and some of that was through writing, um, some of that was through preaching, um, but, but that, was, that was a lot of my, my witness, was just a lot of anger and, and trying to figure out who can I be angry with, and where can I place this anger, um, and really what then can God do as a black person who um, is living in 2020. 
I'm curious now, um, what has your witness um, in relationship with racial justice and reconciliation been like with kids?
I miss St. Andrews in that way of like the ability to have a student from a young age. So it's a real colliding of bringing people in. And so folks are coming from schools where they have done a ton of education about all of these issues that we're wrestling with. And then students are coming from places where they have done very little. And so we almost have to start over again and figuring out how we weave it into the life of the school so it isn't all your identity isn't all that you are but we recognize that it plays a really important part in how you engage with the world and so having strong affinity spaces with adults who identify in those groups leading those spaces having those feel like spaces where yeah you can be you in this space and that that has been some of the most i think because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the chapter. I work with a team of adults. You know, really fortunate that I'm not the only one having to carry this load. So, you know, what speaker, what speakers are we having coming in? How are we tackling things? What, what does our MLK symposium look like from year to year? What's the, what's the program that we're doing in classrooms? You know, what, if, how are we engaging off campus with DC, and how all that is working, and getting our kids out of the bubble that they can be in. And those have been, and I think the, the issue of representation has been really important, right? That I can be and work to be, and I, but this, this work can always feel a little bit sus, you know, an ally and wanting to be that person, but that it means I also need to have voices of people who don't look like me in the pulpit, in, in music performance represented in all aspects, I think specifically in the chapel program itself. Like I was totally fortunate to have Yaha as a seminary intern last year, Mitchell as a seminary intern this year, and and others um, to have have students say, yes, I felt so heard, I felt so seen by that. Let's have a visiting gospel director come in, let's do all of that work in a way that I don't want it to feel token, I want it to feel real, because it is who we are. You are a member of this community, and you need to see yourself represented in that way. You know, why don't I have more black students in the best grade school? Right? What is that about? So really asking some of those questions in a deeper way and engaging in more real conversation with students and adults has been, I think, the, the lifting of the work. But then also realizing my population in general is transient. They're gone, right? So how are we educating them about the, the very old history of the festival, and who we are, and what we come from, and what has been put into this ground and into these buildings by black hands and black bodies and black hearts and black minds, but then also how are we treating each other right now? And that they're actually connected to each other, whether my 15 and 16 year old students understand that, and that this is, they are actually choosing something I think that's incredibly becoming more and more rare to come to a school to be in a place with people who are different than they are intentionally on purpose. We sort each other to be with people who look like us and think like us and make the same money as us all over the country, right? They're choosing to come to a place that's countercultural and they're buying in. And I regularly remind them that. You're not just coming here because oh, this is a lot better than the rural rural high school you've gone to in, you know, somewhere in America. Right? I'm coming here because it's near the city. You know, but no, you're choosing to come be a part of this community. 
And that means there are parts of that. The difficult parts of that are when there are students who struggle to live inside the expectations that we have, right? Like, I don't know whether you've kicked anyone out of saying belongs, right? To say you can't be here anymore. Um, because of your behavior, that does happen in all communities. But there are students that we work really hard with, who even in the end, this is not a place where it feels like you're able to operate and be a productive member of this community and you're causing pain to members of this community. And you're not able to be here anymore. And so how do I continue? Because I tell the students, once I'm your chaplain, I'm always your chaplain. Like that relationship will never change. And so how do I continue to be chaplain in that way? Um, for that student, then for the students who have been Yeah, for myself, uh, and then we're going to open up to questions uh, that you may have. Uh, my witness to kids, I, uh, I think about the, the Second Thessalonians where, um, where it says, um, you have become so dear to us that we were not only willing to share the gospel with our very lives. <laughs> and uh, for me, uh, I had to learn to share the things that I process uh, with my kids. Um, so when uh, a white teenage boy says, oh, look at her, she's pretty for a black girl, I get to respond and say, you know, when you say that, that hurts me. Um, or, um, you know, in South Carolina, around conversations with Confederate monuments. Or the Confederate flag, um, and so being willing and, um, and really trusting God and being vulnerable um, to say um, that hurts, or um, I'm confused, um, or here's how I see it. Um, I, I think um, I think the vulnerability and the grace to invite someone into what, um, for me as a black person. Still is. Uh, it's, it's learning how um, the things that I process and the words that I have, how I invite people to see those and share those uh, with other people. Um, it's tough, you know, because I get hurt of it. Um, so, um, and yet, like, I think that that's, I think that it's one faithful way. And similarly, I, I, I will talk about my own work, and that it's intentional work. And you'll sometimes see, I'll see my students' faces go, hmm. you know, like, yeah, I'm like, I'm a nice girl. Um, we've got 20 clean minutes for questions and answers. Um, you guys have any questions for us? Just Raise your hand and um, we'll point to Andrew Hall. Yes. So when you're working with kids, because kids have lots of different ways they self-identify, and how do you uh, work with kids to make them 
respectful of all those different ways of being called ourselves that I'm fine, but not starting to stereotype people within those different categories. So like how do they learn history and differences and respect for different categories of people without starting to think, oh, this is the stereotype of that type of person or the diversity within whatever the identity is, you know, if you are a black um, 18-year-old high school senior, okay, there's going to be a whole array of those kind of people. How do you get them to not start um, trying to be, uh, I sometimes I'm worried in the effort to fight racism, the easiest place to do is to go to a stereotype. And then latch on that stereotype. It's part of your effort to fight racism. So how do you get the kids to recognize the diversity which in, within each one of these identities? There's a lot of them paper. Um, I'll work with students to share their stories in chapel talks that occur throughout the year. And the ability to share that story and now say, well, now you know my story. So this will kind of, and my story is not everybody's story. And I also have to emphasize that with them. You're not up here speaking or aberrating, you know, trans student. Like, that is not your job. Or, or every black female high school senior girl. And I think the more opportunities that we give students to share those stories in ways that feel safe for them, it, it takes the stereotype out. Because there's, you know too many stories. Um, I think. I'm a big pop culture person and TV person, and I think the more the diversity of stories that are being told now, it just changes that things can't be one note anymore. Um, I do think particularly of, of our students who identify as, as LGBTQ in our community, that that, has, that continues to be an area where people may feel alone. The affinity space shows them that they're not, but kind of the, there's, for many of my students, coming out is not a thing anymore. I just am me. I don't need to make this elaborate gesture to tell everybody I'm just living life in the way that I am. And I think being at a boarding school, the idea that you can live down the hall from everybody, it changes things for the students. And I think particularly for my white students who are curious about people from different racial backgrounds, you know, how do I, how do they engage with that curiosity, but not have it be the only conversation I'm having with guys about her hair and I really want to know all about it and can you tell me about it while I'm trying to be ready for class today and just really inform me and teach me, you know, my, my darker skin front, right? That how do we, how do we do some of that work? Because some of it's going to happen naturally to the um, at least in my context, uh, but not always have our black and brown brothers and sisters have to be teachers. Any other questions? We actually have until 11 o'clock, so oh. I'd love to get more, more time for questions than there aren't any. Could you talk a little bit about um, everything that's happening in our country, about what's being banned, and uh, the knowledge in our history, how, how are you kind of conveying to the kids um, you know, what, what position to take on that, how to, how to deal with that? Uh, 
Yeah, we're we're a, we're a diverse at all levels. I would say we have alums who are very concerned about you know how are you teaching this? Are you telling people that America is bad? You know, like those sorts of cares and concerns. Um, and that we kind of at least I, I find myself as a teacher situating myself in that acknowledging who we are and where we come from. And the, and the good and the bad of all of that, that, that for me is just life. That's living, you know? That idea that because I know more about the history of my country now than I did when I was in high school, does that make me less glad that I am an American? It doesn't. I think that it's, I think it becomes more gray. The black and the white kind of go, you have to live into the gray. And I think for a developing teenage mind, that can be harder because you want answers. You want, how does this work? Is it this, is it that? Which one is it? Is good, bad? I want definition. And it is hard to live into the question and not always be so focused on the answer. Um, but it is, it is this element of, you know, being in independent school, we're not as beholden to some of those things, but that it's important to know where we come from. When we say that, you know, you need to know where you come from so you don't repeat it. Like, you need to know these things about who we are as, as a country, as a school, to be able to acknowledge that. But that does that diminish other aspects, right? We also have an international so there's this element of other students who are coming out choosing to come to, to high school in the United States. Like, this is interesting, I'm into this. And people who are able to look at Americans from the outside and be like, what are you, what are you doing over there? What's that about? And that perspective in the classroom and a lot of making sure there's space for that is super interesting. You know, I, I used to have my, my biblical theology classes, tons of kids coming in with experiences from traditions that they brought up with. It's now about, 75% kids coming from some religious background, but then that means there's a whole bunch of kids who are coming from none. And so that actually, it changes the nature of the conversation. I'm not dealing with baggage from what we're now talking about. Something that's wholly new to you, you have no idea what's going on. So, I feel like we're going But it's, um, it's tough because I think as teachers, we stand on the side of wanting more education and wanting our students to and that, and it's 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 very frustrating that that gets labeled as liberal. You know that I'm being somehow political and wanting my students to have access to racial And I think that's that's very frustrating. And I think that it does set up, and you may even be experiencing this in your own children's school or grandchildren's school that it does feel like you know the faculty's on this side. So, I mean, so so that I think that. People want to draw you into those dichotomies. I try not to. Um, so time for one more. More questions. Yes. So, um, how do you think that? Or um, how do you think that? Um, we in our community can support our young people and the people who 
are working with their young people in the conversation of revolution and open-heartedness to people's anger and space. Um, I have There's a, the story of uh, the woman who had um, been bleeding for 12 years, and uh, this, I think it's probably the most beautiful one in all the Gospels, um, where it says she told him her whole truth. Um, and she told him her whole stories in some of the other translations. Um, I think um, not just macro U.S. history, uh, but also being able to name our own histories as, as people who are black and white. Um, I think that, that um, I think that that's the best way. Um, not the only way, but I, I, but I think spaces like this, um, I think our church being open to reparations um, um, at the church, at my home parish in South Carolina, um, you know, this would not be a thing. Um, you know, we uh, uh, there are a lot of people at that church that fought really hard to get a racial justice library. Um, you know, um, conversation on racism or on reparations would be kind of you know a whole other world. Um, so I think um, being able um, um, to um, for me to say this is my story as a black man, Betsy, for Betsy to honor that and to believe it. Um, for me to hear Betsy's story as a white woman, for me to honor that and believe it, and then ask where might the spirit be moving us forward to um, together, um, I think um, is one way um, we, can, we can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah? I think being honest about your own transformation and change, you know, your own struggles that you've had. I think we, we hear a lot of talk, we hear a lot of talk during the pandemic about resiliency and how do we tell our family history, tell our personal history to our young people so that then when things happen, there's a narrative of, oh, well, this is something that, you know, other people have lived through something similar or have surmounted something and being honest about that. For me, the biblical story, I mean, it's so interesting. It's all feelings, right? So the Syrophoenician woman is where I always go. And it's this woman who pushes back against Jesus. It is not Jewish and says, my daughter is possessed, you know, she's sick, please heal her. And he basically calls her a dog. He says, you know, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the children. You know, and she says, no, no, no. We, we want, we're here for it too. We've heard about you. We're into this kingdom of God thing. And he goes, um, for saying that, you may go. And then there's this M dash, this moment of transformation, I feel. And then he's like, the demon has left your daughter. And it's like, there's this change that happens there. And I don't feel that that somehow Makes, it makes Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. He's changing. He's seeing that his mission is maybe bigger than he thought it was, or beyond what he could imagine. And so it means inviting other people in. And so I think being honest about that this work is hard, and I don't know whether it will happen in my lifetime, the vision I have, but that we are a part of doing it now. And yeah, I'm very much not this young people of the future kind of person. It's now, and we've seen that 
in our streets, in our classrooms. Uh, any final words? Um, so I recently learned the phrase windows and mirrors. Mm -hmm. um, and so, to your question about books and how we teach kids, when we, so I learned at Bogomar, and um, they view books as a window into other cultures, into other lives, into that exposure. So it's hearing stories, but it's not just listening to one particular story. It's exposing your kids to all different types of stories, taking them to places that they might not have ever thought about going, introducing them to people, introducing them to the cultures and foods, so that way when they do come into contact with something that they don't know, they're not fearful, but they are curious. And I think that that is important, is this curiosity is this desire to ask questions. And I think oftentimes, um, especially now that we're playing against uh, book band, it's the fear of asking questions. It's that fear of the unknown. And the more that you don't know, the more that you are afraid. And so being able to open our kids to ask questions, to be curious, to be able to go up to a stranger and ask in a respectful way to get to hear their stories and get to know them. But then it's also taking a mirror and looking at ourselves, looking at what we're doing, the work that we're doing. Are we curious about ourselves? Are we acknowledging the faults that we have within ourselves? And until we're able to fully balance those two, I think that we will always be striving to follow the example of Jesus. And so, Will you please join me in giving Betsy a hand? Amen. Thank you all for coming. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.